What's up, military millionaires? I'm your host, David Perret, and I'm finally recording in a new studio slash office. It's actually a really nice setup, but today we have an exciting episode. It is with Jennifer Beatles, and we're going to talk about really everything from being an investor and a real estate agent to development. She's got a killer deal that we talk about later on uh, to include how she travels the world, and it's very, very interesting, especially because she started in 2008 in the development world, which is just extremely unique. If this is your first time listening, thanks for joining the community. This podcast is produced every Friday for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at frommilitarytomillionaire.com slash podcast. Now relax and enjoy the show. You're listening to the Military Millionaire Podcast, a show about real estate investing for the working class. Stay tuned as we explore ways to help you improve your finances, build wealth through real estate, and become a person that is worth knowing. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hey guys, on this podcast we talk a lot about the roadblock to success for military members in getting started in real estate investing. For many of us, the barriers of time, location, and not having the right knowledge keep us from building wealth while serving our country. Well, let me tell you about Storehouse 310 Ventures. They get it. Storehouse 310 Ventures is owned by two active duty naval officers that love to make investing fun, lucrative, and have a passion for education, theirs and yours alike. They offer full turnkey rental properties in a market where the numbers make sense, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yes, Milwaukee, home to the almost 2018 division titled Milwaukee Brewers, the well-known Miller Brewing Company, and a lot of delicious cheese. Storehouse 310's properties are fully renovated, leased, and have property management in place. Through their rigorous analysis and selection process, they do everything possible to ensure each rental property meets their high standards and offers fantastic returns. Storehouse 310's allows you to invest with confidence while you are living out of state. They have a network of lenders, insurance companies, contractors, a title company, and much more to serve you all along the way. There is absolutely no reason not to get started when you have the right teams and system in place. David and Stu, the owners of Storehouse 310, have been investing themselves for over 15 years. They are on a mission to help as many active duty, reserves, and military veterans create financial freedom through the power of real estate investing. They are honest, transparent, and they prioritize service and giving. They have even committed to give the first 10% of their profits to partner nonprofit organizations that support veteran causes. For more information about their program, send an email to podcast at storehouse310turnkey.com. Again, that is podcast at storehouse310turnkey.com. Tell David and Stu you heard about them through the Military Millionaire Podcast, and they will get you going down the right path. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Dave from Military Millionaire, and I am here with Jennifer Beatles, who is a real estate agent, investor, developer, amongst other things. And uh, I'm just super excited to have this on the have her on the show because I think being an agent and an investor is kind of a rare commodity, and it will bring some insight to things that you need to know when you're looking. I mean, really, when you're looking for a real estate agent to begin with, so you get stuck with one that knows what they're doing as opposed to the opposite. So, Jennifer, thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, excited to be here. So, uh, my story kind of starts in my early teens, actually. Um, you know, I had a lot of job, jobs as a teenager and into my 20s. I um, was kind of trying to figure out life. I dropped out of college to uh, work two jobs. So I worked as a barista in the morning, and I worked as a waitress at night, um, all because I had this goal to buy a house. And the funny thing is, uh, is that was 2007 which is probably the worst time in history <laughs> to buy a house. Uh, but anyways, 
So I worked these two jobs, bought this house, and um, kind of fell in love with the whole process of buying real estate. Um, and there was a couple of things that kind of made that impactful for me. Um, you know, one is I bought a property that was a huge fixer-upper um, that was also kind of a development play. Um, so it was a large lot, um, you know, zoned kind of multifamily. Um, you know, I was doing all this research through the purchase and sale kind of transaction. Um, and so I wanted to learn a little bit more about that. And then the other thing that was kind of important was that I realized that the agent made $7,500. <laughs> and I was like, hey, the guy showed me one house, we wrote the offer, did an inspection. Wait a second, I'm in the wrong business here, working two jobs, you know, trying to figure this thing out. So I decided that real estate was going to be my thing. And um, for, again, for whatever reason, the development side kind of, you know, played to me. So I started interviewing with real estate developers and um, got hired kind of as an executive assistant slash project manager slash do the stuff that nobody else wanted to do. <laughs> um, and again, so this is 2007, probably the best and worst time to get into the development space. Um, so basically, I did everything from permitting to site plans, learning AutoCAD, um, you know, kind of anything and everything. The business model that the company that I was working for mostly did um, single family homes and small multifamily. And there was something really interesting that they did, which was they would build, you know, a neighborhood of homes and then take some of the profits from the business and do this kind of um, build to rent strategy. So, you know, they build um, small multifamily rent them out and kind of keep them in their portfolio. So throughout that process, um, you know, there, well, 2008 happened, <laughs> blood in the streets, developers <laughs> were losing everything. And here I was this 22 year old girl that was like helping people out, like trying to figure out the strategies. The bankers were like, look, we're taking this stuff back. What do we have? The builders are like kind of hiding from, you know, all this, these issues that they were having and, so anyways, it was really interesting. Um, I decided to get my real estate license in May of 2009. Mostly, I had no desire to sell real estate, but I wanted access to properties. Mm. And um, so, you know, I got that magic little key that they give you that you pay for <laughs> and, um, you know, kind of use that to actually buy a house hack um, with an FHA loan. At that time, it was like the down payment was 3%. So I used that for the down payment, lived in half of the duplex, rented out the other side, and kind of weathered the storm that we were going through, um, you know, in real estate. And, and kind of interestingly enough, the day after we closed from the duplex, I quit my job. So, nice. Uh, yeah, well, so it was kind of, you know, interesting times, obviously, in the development world. And I was the last employee, you know, and, and so I said, you know what, I have the skills of knowing how to develop properties. I have this newly minted real estate license, <laughs> special key that gets me into anything. Um, so my plan was to become a real estate agent that focuses on investors. Um, Cause I'm not, I'm an introvert, not a super social person. I pretty much just like to get it done numbers driven. And you know, it was also kind of a time where nobody was buying houses anyway. So, uh, so long story short, my first five listings as a real estate agent were houses that I built. So I went, called friends and family and said, hey guys, I know how to build houses. I know a builder that you know, has foundations in the ground that we can get for super cheap and pretty much did that. Um, along the way, you know, I was able to make a really good income as a real estate agent. And I kind of took that same philosophy of you take business profits and you buy you know, cash flowing rentals to eventually you know, replace your income. 
So long story short, um, you know, my husband retired at 30 years old. Uh, we became millionaires at age 29. We, uh, now I run a company called Agents Invest where we help investors kind of get into other markets. And I do a lot of agent training because I'm passionate about agents learning the investment side of the business. And um, we travel a lot as a family. We have a four-year-old and, and that's kind of our thing. So it's a very condensed story. <laughs> so, our, so our business strategy or our personal investing strategy now is do, um, you know, small multifamily new construction here in the Seattle area because um, it's super expensive to buy anything. And then we're looking at bigger apartments um, out of state as well. Awesome. I there think that's <laughs> really cool that you jumped in on developing. Um, but what I think is even more cool is the fact that you jumped in and as you said, the worst time you could have jumped in and you saw everybody losing their shirts and you're like, nah, I'll become an agent. Why not continue getting into this? Um, so I would be curious why, like, what do you think it was that kept you from getting scared off when people were just losing everything? Yeah. Um, I, I think because, well, for one, I had learned some lessons. So I, I paid attention to why all of these builders that were losing everything had lost everything. And a lot of it was related to speculation, right? Mm. And so, um, and then over leverage and then, um, you know, just kind of poor financial decisions, right? So that was impactful for me. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, for me, um, as women, we like sales, right? <laughs> so, so for me, I'm like, the real estate market is on sale. Like, I did not understand why people thought that, you know, my husband and I were crazy when we were buying properties because I inherently knew that they were on sale. You know, getting in in 2007, I'm like, all right, kind of sucks that the house that I bought in 2007 lost 50% of its value. <laughs> However, I have all confidence in the world that, you know, this will come back, right? I mean, that's, that's just how markets work is they go up and they go down. And, and, you know, so for me, it was like, um, there's a lot of agents getting out of the business again, kind of to your point, everyone thought I was crazy. Um, but, but for me, it was like, dang, like, okay, everyone's getting out of the business yet the investors knew that the market was on sale too. So I just surrounded myself with people that are like, Hey, I see the same sale that you do. Let's go buy some stuff. Yeah. I, that's a good way to look at it as a sale. Um, and I think it's cool that you, I mean, it's just, it's, it's just awesome to see that you had the courage to go through with that. And you're right. And it's funny when you think about humans and how we, how flawed we are that saying you understand the markets on sale and saying the market will come back around is very easy. Uh, and yet as soon as the market crashes, the same people who were saying, Oh yeah, no, you know, just, you never lose money if you don't sell your stocks. Uh, it becomes a very emotional thing and people will still sell even if they know they shouldn't. And then five years later, they'll say, oh, I knew I shouldn't have sold. Why'd I sell? It's uh, Even if you understand that, it's not easy to buy in a down market or or to you know not, I don't know, the opposite. It's just, it's funny to watch people when it comes to markets. So it's cool that you were able to not only identify that, but to you know get it out because a lot of people don't. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and it probably helped too that I was young and naive and, um, you know, super hungry. So <laughs> I, was, so kinda, I yeah. think that, yeah, I think that there's something to be said for that though. Right. Because if you, for me as a young, when, well, when I first got into real estate investing in the military, it's kind of like being a youngster because I could lose everything 
and I still have my job, still have housing, still have food, like the military will make sure that I'm totally okay and I'll survive. So as a young 18, 19, 20, 21, you know, you, you're much more able to take on risk because you've got your whole life to fix it. Uh, and I, I wonder if that plays into some of the reason that, you know, some of these guys who are like 40 and the market crashes, they just walk because, okay, well, I'm, I've made it enough. I'm going to ride it out now. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, sometimes our perception of whatever is happening, right, it's kind of like the, the glass is half full versus, uh, you know, half empty people, right? And so I see opportunity in anything. So like right now, even though we're in the, you know, hottest seller's market that I've seen, there's still a ton of opportunity out there. So like a lot of people think, oh, because you got such great deals in, you know, 2009, 10, 11, 12, 13, you must not be buying right now, right? You must be waiting for the next downturn. I'm like waiting for what? Like I don't wait for things, right? So it's yeah. like, like okay. So so the strategy has changed though, right? So um, you know it's changed in that we're not investing as much in the Seattle market, um, and, and actually we haven't been for like the last you know three years, right? Um, as far as existing properties, um, yep. so we're looking more at out of state markets. So it's it's the same kind of criteria. It's the same reason for investing. It just the the I think the strategy pivots. Um, to, you know, where can I find the deals? So I think that, you know, having that kind of um, openness, I guess, to different strategies that'll work in whatever the market's doing is super important. Yeah, it's funny to watch influencers talk about the impending crash and, you know, save your money and I'm like, oh, hey, that looks like a good deal. Buy that. And it's supposed to close on one on Friday, but I don't know. We'll see. It's It's got some stuff that, wasn't necessarily foreseen coming up with it. So I'm doing another inspection to, we'll see what happens, but you know, at least still trying to make stuff work. But as you said, the strategy completely changes. And I think that's the key, obviously a little bit more reserved with capital and stuff, but you know, maybe not, maybe not uh, doing seller financing and 0% down on stuff like I was four years ago, but um, it is what it is. So I would be curious to ask, from the developer standpoint, can you walk us through some of what those numbers look like? Because so I don't know much about the development world. I haven't ever done it, but I would imagine that depending on probably more so in an expensive market like Seattle than in Missouri, the cost to build probably leaves a large spread or a decent spread. And I'd wonder how that would kind of compare to flipping because it, I mean, it seems like once you got it under control, building would probably be less stressful than fixing a house because you at least know where you're going with it. For sure. Yeah. So um, we've actually done a lot of flips too, but I certainly prefer to, I, I actually think building is easier than flipping. And pe whenever I say that, people are like, how is that possible? <laughs> um, and, and of course, you know, it's just, you know, my um, perspective of having done it. Um, but yeah, so to give you some numbers, I'll give you um, some numbers on a really good deal that we just finished, actually finished a couple months ago. But um, it was a little bit of a longer term deal than what we normally do, but we had purchased a single family house that was on the MLS, right? So it was on the MLS for like four months, but it was listed improperly. Um, and that's a huge opportunity for people. You know, they say, oh, the best deals are found off market. And it's like, yes. And there's also an opportunity to find, you know, deals that are on the MLS that again, are just kind of like either in the wrong category or are missing information. So uh, bought a single family house for this, I think 320, they were asking 360. We paid 320 cash, um, but the kicker was it was a single family house with an additional multifamily zoned building lot. Um, 
And so it was like a, oh shoot, it was like a 16 or 17,000 square foot lot. Um, but it had two lot statuses because lot status is important in um, building. And so what we did, and it was like a, an estate sale. So of course, you know, we were left with a dumpster full of junk, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, Perfect. You know, yeah, great. Actually, we were able to donate some stuff. Uh, to yeah. I mean, I have fun looking through that stuff. You never know. Yeah. Why not? Um, so anyways, we uh, ended up finding out that the house was 1.6 feet over the, uh, onto the other lots. We had to do a boundary line adjustment, which is fun. Um, and then we ended up flipping the single family house. I think we sold that one for three seventy-five. Um, and then we retained the building lot next to it. So it was really fun to make when we were closing that to make sure that the title company did not convey both lots of it. Yeah. You know, was, you know so there's some title stuff there. But uh, but anyway, so we sold the house for three seventy. And then we were left with this building lot. Um, so from there, we had a couple of options. Um, it was zoned for four units. And we actually pursued that for um, like six months. Um, and we ended up being like literally, I think, two feet shy of fitting all the parking that we wanted to fit in order to do the four units. So we had to scrap that, which is the downside of building is you never know until you get to the end. Yeah. And we just ended up building a duplex. So all in, for the duplex, we were, that includes the land, about $325,000, which is abnormal. And that's because we got the lot for almost free, right? Yeah. Um, and then it appraised for $660,000. So, wow. yeah. <laughs> so then we decided, uh, why don't we maximize this at, at 70 LTV? And so we paid ourselves, it was like a... Well, the construction loan had paid back all of our um, like development costs, and then we paid ourselves an additional. It was like ninety three thousand dollars, and that so the loan amount was like four fifty five. It appraised for six sixty, so we have two hundred thousand dollars in equity, and then we rented each side for twenty two hundred dollars a month. We paid extra for uh, the water sewer meters, you know, the tenants pay all utilities. And then, so we cash flow somewhere in the thousand dollar a month range or something. So that's why I love building so much because <laughs> essentially like we could do one of those a year or, or something that's even similar to that a year and have no money into it, pay ourselves a hundred grand and get a brand new property with $200,000 in equity that cash flows a thousand dollars a month. Right? Like yeah. if I can do that every day, I mean, you know, if you could do that once a year, that's still nuts. Yeah. I mean, that's, I'm thinking in terms of some of my peers in the military, uh, I mean, depending on your rank, that's more than you make in a year <laughs> for working insane amounts of hours every year, not counting the equity spread or the cash flow that you're going to have forever, which is just awesome. It's not a property that size, you're probably paying off, I don't know, ten to $20,000 a year in debt pay down plus everything else and that's that's some crazy numbers. I've you know it's funny because I've I've got a I have an opportunity and I don't know that I'll ever pull the trigger on it. Not because I'm afraid, but because I just don't know if I want to do this to the family. So my my in laws, uh, trying to think of the easiest way to explain it, we'll just say everyone lives really close to each other out in the country. And I owned my wife's house on five acres, and the five acres on the back side got 
was getting sold with a house and we just said, Hey, we'll pay you double what the land's worth if you'll give us the five acres in between. So we now own a 10 acre lot that in Missouri is very, very, very easy. We've already talked to everyone. They're like, yeah, no problem to zone it into three lots. Um, and so I've been toying with the idea like, well, do we plan on living there full time. If we do, I want to keep the 10 acres, but if we decide that's not going to be our forever home when I retire, then I'm going to split it into three. We sell all three and, you know, it, or maybe develop on the two and then sell them as homes. Haven't figured that out, but there's some good opportunities, some great, uh, I mean, the housing prices out there have gone up a lot. So, uh, this was cool to hear because I theoretically, there's enough space for me to do a duplex or a triplex there or, or a couple different things. So, well, I think that there's huge opportunity in development because a lot of the developers are doing the big stuff, right? So they're not going to bother with a duplex, triplex, fourplex, like that's not even worth it for them. And then anyone that's doing the little stuff, they're doing spec homes, right? And so there's this huge kind of opportunity to, um, you know, find lots that will fit for a duplex. Like in our area, a lot of the residential zones um, will automatically qualify for a duplex lot. You just have to fit it on there, right? So, so sometimes if it's a really small lot, you're, you know, you don't get garages and all that fun stuff. Um, but the cool thing is too, is like you can decide what to build, right? So we ended up building a four bedroom each side Rambler style duplex. Um, wow. because, yeah, yeah. It's really fun to the architect. I'd house hack a four bedroom duplex. Right. That's not bad at all. Right. Well, the other thing is, you know, half of our rentals are rented out to this uh, program called supported living, which is for people with intellectual disabilities. And um, they will allow them, you know, to like live in these homes and pay more rent. And, you know, they stay 10 years plus. Um, and, and it doesn't have to be licensed if it's under five bedrooms. So we're like, hey, we're just going to go and build a bunch of these things, um, you know, and rent them out that way. And it works really well, too. And then the, on the flip side, if we ever wanted to, um, you know, sell or exit the property, it's really easy to condo a duplex and sell them to individual homeowners. Right. Um, so, you know, I mean, if we were to condo that thing and sell it, it'd actually probably sell for 400 a unit. Right. So that's 800 grand. So anyways, I could keep going on and on. Oh, that's, <laughs> I love the so development cool. side so much. I love it because everybody talks about fix and flip. And, and although you run into some of the stuff with developing, like you said, you had to scrap your plans. At least that's not as bad as, I mean, you hear the horror, we hear the horror stories with flips where it's, oh, I mean, I got a phone call last week. It's probably my first flip that I've done on my own. And hey, it's going to cost you another eight grand to put this bathroom in. Oh, well, that wasn't planned. Uh, let's see what we're going to do. And at least with developing, you can plan all that out accordingly and you're at the whim of the city and regulations but you're not at the whim of well what damage did this house have that we had no idea about yeah and i think there's probably a it sounds like there's a pretty i mean there could very easily be a bigger margin in developing than there is in flipping too oh for sure absolutely yeah that's super cool especially because not a lot of people do it so no. okay well let's shift gears for a minute i would like to ask you as a investor and an agent and somebody who runs a, you know, as an agent who runs a company for investors <laughs> primarily, what are some things that you think investors, especially newer investors, a lot of people listening to this podcast are a little bit newer, uh, should look for in a real estate agent, especially if they're looking at as an investor? Because it's not, as we were talking about before the show, it, it's as a young investor, if the agent returns your phone calls, you may go with them. Uh, and that's great. Uh, you know, I did that on my first in agent and I've never used them again, which is a bummer for them. But 
uh, you know, I since found some pretty solid agents that I go back and forth between, but I would be curious to hear your thoughts on how you think you should find a good agent. Yeah. So, um, I think it's a series of questions. So for me, so, you know, when I've targeted an area that I really want to invest in, like, a, like another city, right out of state, um, you know, first and foremost, I'll ask the agents a couple questions. So, um, you know, I'll ask them, Hey, do you own investment properties yourself? That doesn't, even if they do, that doesn't necessarily mean the right, they're the right person, but that's a good starting point. Right. Yeah. And then, um, you know, the next question is I will ask them, Hey, can you describe to me the last really good deal that you found? And, and if they if it's if their answer is anything like, uh, yeah, there was a single family house in a neighborhood that sells for, you know, 400,000 and the single family house was going for 375, then, then that's, that's the, the typical kind of like home buyer and seller agent. But if they say something like, uh, yeah, you know, so there's this neighborhood that was 400,000, this house is going for 375 and it'll rent for three grand a month is something like that. Um, or if they say, yeah, you know, I just closed on a duplex, uh, and, and that an investor of mine bought, um, you know, it's getting near the 1% rule, right. Um, you know, any, any kind of answers like that. Um, the next thing is for me, they have to have the ability or the knowledge or the connections to determine what fair market rent is, right. So anything related to, um, investing is all about what can you buy it for? And then what is the potential income? So, uh, you know, and, and everyone kind of has their different criteria, right? But if an agent does it, like, like even if they say, hey, you know, um, I'm not super in tune with rents. However, I work really closely with the property manager and I always run every property by them before I send it out to my investors to see what potential rents could be, then that's, then that's fine, right? So that's good. Um, and then the other thing is like, I like people that, uh, you know, I'll say things like, um, hey, do you know about the Burr strategy? Are you familiar with the 1% rule? What does value add mean to you? What price to rent ratios are you seeing, right? So I'm not looking for, for perfect answers, right? Um, but if there's a lot of like quietness or, or just like <laughs> silence on the, other, on the other, you know, line where they're not knowing what I'm talking about, then it's probably going to be a challenge for us to work together. And, it, and it's, you know, it's probably not someone who's going to, um, you know, save me a whole lot of time and kind of help me in that, you know, get into that area. Um, so I think that that's super important, um, you know, to kind of ask them those questions. But again, if somebody's like, I've had like, I had a guy in Indianapolis, that's like, look, I've been on bigger pockets. Um, I don't know 100% about all these strategies that you're asking me about, but here's what I'll do. I'm going to go watch some videos over the weekend. I'm going to read on bigger pockets and kind of get a little more familiar with these. And then what if I get back to you on Monday and, um, you know, we kind of reconnect and, and finish this conversation like that to me is fine. Right. Yeah. So I think that I'm that's hungry. important. The other thing too, is like any time if I, even if I have a good conversation and then an investor agent says, all right, I'm going to add you to my, uh, MLS auto search. Let me know if you find something that you like that's a big pet peeve of mine. So like as an agent, I don't want to get a, a list of a hundred houses or a hundred multifamilies in that area. Like I want an agent to come back to me and be like, Hey, here's the top three or five or seven deals that I found this week. And here's why like that to me is like, I will pay you more, like take all my money. Like, <laughs> right. It's like, you know, that, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. So I, 
it's funny you say that. I referred somebody. Uh, it wasn't even really the referral process. It was I'm going to help this person look for uh, a VA lender and, and realtor that you know know what they're doing. And I sent. I found three or four guys that looked very promising in the area. So I sent them all an email saying, this is what I'm doing. You know, this is who I'm representing. This is who, this is what I would like to know from you. Asked them like three or four different questions. And two of the real estate agents, one through email and one through text, you know, I, all of them send back the automatic, like, Hey, I'll get back to you. I'm just letting you know, I got your message. Okay, cool. No worries. Two of them. I wake up the next morning. One, my text message has like four deals that are newly listed that I might be interested in. And the other one, the email is like, I got added to this auto and I had like 15 properties in my inbox. And then the one who texted me was like, you know, Hey, sorry, I haven't been able to get a hold of you. Uh, would love to know what kind of houses you're looking for this, that, and the other. And it was very clearly not an automatic text. That one, I was just like, did you even read my email? Like I'm not, I'm not looking for a house in your market. I'm looking to talk to you about, and it was just, it drove me nuts. So now I've, those two, I just immediately took off because I was like, I understand the automatic system. But I don't want 15 emails from you about houses without you even reading my email. Yep. You don't know what I'm looking for. Why are you flooding me with crap that I don't care about? But Absolutely. Yeah, super frustrating. So. Yeah. I like that you mentioned the fair market rents. I feel like, uh, and I would like to, piggyback and just say when when you first ask that of the agent you should probably have a way to at least gauge if they're being honest because uh, uh, there's you may not know if you're new at this and the agent's like oh yeah that house will rent for a thousand dollars a month oh awesome great deal and then it rents for six hundred dollars a month well not really but they gave you some great ideas i don't know uh, and that seems to be I don't know about common, but it happens. Yeah. So. There, there's always, um, they're definitely, you know, more on the higher end side, I think. of, of Right? I mean, that's just, you know, marketing, right? That's kind of what Absolutely. they, you know, teach in the brokerages is to make everything sound a little better. Um, but certainly in the due diligence process is get that property manager um, involved, like right up front, and then, um, you know, get their opinion, right? Because they're the one that's going to have to rent it. So. Yeah. And, and I mean, it, you know, if you're, within a few bucks or 50 bucks or hundred bucks or whatever, who cares? I mean, the house I had rented for the last year and a half, I just got told the agent got uh, like another $250 a month out of the tenant that they're moving a new one in. And I got this massive pet fee and then some other stuff and this, that, and the other, and it's going to make, you know, another 250 bucks a month over what I was last year on the same house. So it'll, it'll go up if you're smart about it. Absolutely. But okay. So, as an agent, a developer, and an investor, you have some very unique uh, insight. What uh, what other kind of like? Are there any other kind of crazy niche investing strategies that you've done in this realm, or is that kind of the main bread and butter? Um, yes, yeah, so we do the build to rent. We do the supported living. Um, you know, value add multifamily has obviously been big for us. Burr investing. Um, that's kind of how we got because we didn't have a whole lot of money getting started. Right. So, um, so we did a lot of burr, um, and then, I mean, out of state investing as well. So yeah. Yeah. A little bit of everything. I like well, it. Oh, private lending. I do private lending too. Oh, see, now there you go. That's cool. <laughs> you know what? That's, yeah. That was, that was new this year. <laughs> that's cool. That's kind of, that seems like the next step. Once you get to a certain level, you're like, okay, I can analyze deals and I have a lot of cash. I should probably put this to work without having to hunt deals as much. 
So. Well, and that kind of started because we were doing more traveling. So we spent um, 10 weeks in Southeast Asia as a family. And it was like, I know. And then we came back and we were like, oh, it's not very nice weather here. And then we, we were back for like 60 days. And then we went to Europe for four weeks. Um, but anyway, so we were like, okay, there's a point where, um, you know, time is more valuable, right? And, and, and obviously time is our most valuable asset. But I think when you're just getting started and you're kind of building your portfolio, it's like you will do whatever it takes, right? A determined person is just going to make it happen. Um, you know, but for us, it's kind of like, all right, it feels kind of good to have this income coming in. Um, but you're right. You know, it's like when you have a chunk of money that hasn't been deployed, it's like, all right, well, would love to get this out somewhere. And one of my investors asked, he's like, hey, you ever think about investing in um, or, you know, doing private money lending? And I'm like, yes, I will. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we ended up doing like six loans and, and it was kind of cool being in a different country, being like, oh, sweet. A loan payment came in today. This is awesome. So, yeah. Fun. Yeah. I think that's really cool. There's a guy in my local market who... He, he does a lot of stuff himself still, but he's kind of transitioned into that space. Super cool guy, but it's nice to be able to talk private lending, especially when it's another investor, you know, because he was able to give me some insight on one of the deals on something that I hadn't even thought about. Whereas, you know, and, and it was still a good deal, but had the private lender just been somebody who I, you know, knew and asked for money, which has happened, then that's great. But what if I miss something? It's nice to have yeah. another set of eyes too. So it's kind of like a double incentive, I guess, for everybody, but yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So I always ask a few questions and I'm going to ask a couple of them and try to not make them sound super military. But the <laughs> okay. first one is if, uh, if an 18 to 20 year old or a youngster, so walk up to you asking you for advice and you only had a few minutes, what do you think you'd tell them? Owner occupy a multi-unit, uh, preferably a fourplex, but a duplex is fine too. Yeah. Everyone has to live somewhere. Um, so I think the best thing that, you know, especially using the VA loan, right? I mean, you guys can go up to four units on that. Um, so if you own or occupy one unit, the rent should pay, if you do it right, the rent should pay for all the other units, live there for a year and then go and do another one. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. And the really nice thing with the VA loan now, it won't take place for another four months is they just, uh, re remove the limit. So come January 1st, 2020, markets like Seattle and Hawaii, you won't be priced out of duplexes and fourplexes. You might actually be able to buy a fourplex, even if it's, if it's a million and a half, as long as your debt to income is right and the lender's cool with it, there's no limit on it anymore, which is, that's huge. Awesome. Yeah. Super cool. Except that I'm going to move to Missouri when that happens. <laughs> it, it won't matter because it'll be like a hundred grand for 10 units or, <laughs> but, uh, awesome. no, I think that's great advice. My first property was a house hack. And I wish I'd done four units. It was just a duplex. It's still awesome. I still have it. It still cash flows. Um, but that's a, I mean, just an awesome, awesome strategy to get started. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's see. Oh, that's not a good question. That is strictly military. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, so what, <clears throat> I guess I would ask, what is one resource, book, course, website that you think you'd recommend to anyone who's getting started? Yeah. Um this question. So, I mean, I think bigger pockets is great. Um, but I also really, really believe in networking. So, um, I think that if you can get into a networking group with people that are doing really, really big things, um, that's going to be super helpful. So, you know, meetup.com, you can search, I would say that almost every city has a local real estate investing meetup group. Um, I don't particularly like the ones with a lot of sales and the, the, not to knock, you know, Rhea or Reaps is just the first ones that come to mind. 
uh, but definitely find the right group for you um, because I think you can, I mean, of course, learn a lot online, learn a lot in person, but the value that you can get from an experienced person is so much better than what you could learn, you know, in a book or online. I agree. When I hosted an event in Hawaii and people, a couple different people suggested that I bring in speakers to pitch and talk and there's some value to that, but it's a very fine line between bringing someone in to talk about products or services and bringing someone in to pitch everything. And so I, I ended up, you know, I most mostly just network oriented and I loved it. And I'm actually doing the same thing uh, in two weeks. I'm doing my first one here in San Diego. It's going to be the exact same thing on a beach under a pavilion. I'm bringing pizza. We'll hang out till it gets dark or the homeless people scare us off um, <laughs> and, you know, maybe drink a beer or two. And it, it was just, it was fun. I mean, I remember like uh, Doug Nordman would come in from surfing and he would be, he'd be out <laughs> surfing and show up with a surfboard to the meetup. And I was like, oh, this is cool. And because the intent is to network and get to meet people and be around other investors, not to necessarily hear a sales pitch every time. And so I, I would just do like a go around the circle. Everyone has 60 seconds to say, this is who I am. This is what I'm looking for. This is how I could help you. And then you're like, oh, I know I need to talk to that guy. Absolutely. And yeah, yeah, I agree. Networking, I think is the number one thing that you can do to up yeah. your influence and up your just knowledge. Absolutely. That's huge. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Jennifer, before we wrap this up, is there anything you think you'd like to add any parting advice or big ideas? Oh, parting advice or bigger ideas. Um, so I tell people to choose their own adventure. <laughs> so, right. It's like, you know, with investing, sometimes it's tough because it, it, there's so many different ways that you can make it work. Um, but, but I think that it's like take from, you know, people that have experience and what really kind of speaks to you and something that you can implement immediately. Right. So that's why I tell people, um, anyone that comes in and says, Hey, I want to invest. Where do I start? I absolutely say you are going to have to live somewhere, you know, owner occupy a multifamily. Right. Um, so definitely just kind of figure out how, it, and if you already have a house, whatever. So the next step might be try to do a burr or try to, um, you know, get a single family or a multifamily or, you know, whatever, wherever kind of you're at. Um, but I think that taking action is almost even more important than, you know, just getting more information. Um, so I, and I don't even, that's not a big idea, but I would just say for anyone listening, find an opportunity to take action on something that you've learned um, about investing um, pretty much within 24 hours of learning it, right? Um, so take that next step. So it might be, you know, getting pre-approved with the VA lender, one that knows how the VA loan works. <laughs> um, and then see, you know, if you can um, do an owner-occupant situation with a house hack or, you know, buy a rental property or something like that. So just take action. Choose your own yeah. adventure, take action. I wholeheartedly agree with the action piece. That's all the prep and knowledge and books and learning in the world doesn't help if you don't ever go do it. Yep. And you're going to mess stuff up, but you know, you'll mess it up learning something instead of messing it up and just never do anything, which is for me a much bigger lose than, yep. you know, losing everything That's in a deal is probably still better than losing everything from just not doing anything. Yep. That's and it's kind of hard to lose money if you're investing in like for rental properties, like it's, it's hard to lose money. <laughs> yeah. You got to buy something way overpriced and then in terrible shape. And yep. if you, even if you buy something 
more for more than it should be worth, right? And you're yep. you're breaking even or even losing a couple hundred bucks a month. If you can hold on to it, eventually it'll go up in value. You'll pay it off, and it'll it'll come out on top. Yep. Time is time is a great ally for the real estate investor, right? The what's the idiom that's always on the internet? Do you want to wait and buy real estate or buy real estate and wait? Something yep. like that. Absolutely. Super cool. Awesome. Well, Jennifer, thank you for joining us so much. Uh, I am going to definitely go do some more research and development here eventually. That's really cool. Yeah, that's super, super cool. Uh, Where can people get a hold of you if they want to reach out? You got a website or email? Yeah, so I have a blog. It's called addictedtoroi.com. And then the company website is agentsinvest.com. We do fun um, group investing trips. Uh, Dave, you'll have to come on one at some point. Yes. Yeah, we have local meetups and stuff like that. That sounds right up my alley. I'm all about (laughs) trips and investing. Next. Yeah, I know. I need to. I need to figure all that out. I just got to this new unit, and I had bought my tickets for all these different conferences before I got here. And it's like, yeah. And then I got here, and they're like, "Ooh, man, we're gonna be busy during those times. I don't know if we're gonna be able to approve your leave." So I'm like. You need to tell me now before I buy a hotel and a flight, please. <laughs> so I've yeah. got to figure out, I've got like four conferences in the next three months that I'm trying to go Ooh. to. It's like, nice. okay, please tell me which ones I can go to because I already paid for them all. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, well, life of the military, I suppose. Uh, yes. Awesome. Well, thank you awesome. very, very much for joining me tonight. It's been awesome. All right. Thanks. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from militarymillionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show. Give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.